find your way to Luke chapter 5. We're fresh out of a series through a new vision for new vision where we talked about this whole insight of what it looks like to be a disciple, where we expect individuals to be progressing in discipleship. And, and that was really a little bit of a, a pause that we took from a longer-term series that we've been going through in the book of Luke, where we're talking about outcasts, because ultimately Luke is a gospel written by this physician, Luke, who is a traveling companion of Paul, who has done his research, and, and he's found out all the details about the life of Jesus. He's writing to Theophilus, this uh, friend of his that we really don't know much about, but ultimately his name means lover of God. And in this letter, Luke is describing the life of Jesus. He's, he's laying out all the things that Theophilus needs to know so that he will know for sure about the things that he has heard. And in, in the midst of that, we see that Luke, of all the gospel authors, is really drawing out the fact that Jesus has come for those who are the outcasts, those who have been rejected by society, those who have chosen the wrong path and now feel like they are at the greatest distance that they could possibly be from God. And we're going to see an example of one of those individuals in our passage here today in Luke chapter 5. And so the message that I'm going to share with you, I've titled The Confessions of a True Disciple. And I just want to start with a little question. Do you enjoy fishing? Do, do, do those of you who are here, do you enjoy fishing We've got, we got a few folks that enjoy fishing. I grew up in a house on a hill with a pond down at the bottom of the hill. So anytime I wanted to go fishing, there was only about a 30-second walk for me to go and scratch that itch. All right? So it was, it was a pretty close, convenient sort of place for a, a guy growing up in the place where I lived to, to go fishing anytime he wanted to. And on top of that, I spent several years of my adolescence in the Boy Scouts. And as the Boy, Boy Scout troop, we used to travel once a year down to the coast, and we would go fishing on the pier and, and on the beaches down at Emerald Isle. And so I have many good memories from my childhood of fishing experiences, both at that pond and on the pier and on the beach of Emerald Isle. But still, I would say there have been many instances, many occurrences in my life when I have not enjoyed fishing. Do you know what I do enjoy? I enjoy catching, Okay. And many times when you go fishing, you find that there's an experience where you are not catching, right? I really enjoy when I'm throwing the rod in and I'm pulling in a fish. I don't enjoy the experience of throwing out my line and reeling it back in and throwing out my line and reeling it back in all day long to receive nothing. Now, my brother, on the other hand, he's a completely different animal. I mean, he could go out and he could sit by the pond and he could enjoy a full day of catching absolutely nothing. That's just not a good experience for me, I remember when I was, I was a, a young child, I was probably close to my teenage years. So around 12 years of age, uh, my family and I went down to the beach for a summer vacation. And we went out on one of these fishing excursions, which means there's this boat full of individuals on both sides with the handrails all the way around. And we went out into the ocean with the boat rocking back and forth, pretty, you know, pretty hefty rocks. And I remember being the only person on that boat who didn't catch a thing, all right? That's not my idea of a good time. The only thing I caught was line on the other end from people over and over again and the frustration of not being able to capture any fish. So that's, that's just not my definition of a good time. Nor is sitting around all day and casting and reeling with no joy of catching. When I am fishing, I want to be catching, and I can only imagine how much more so that would be for me if fishing was my vocation. If fishing was the way that I made a living, then I can see that that would be an even bigger deal for me. But just imagine with me this scenario, okay? Because this is really what we're seeing in the text as we get into Luke chapter 5. But imagine that you fish for a living. This is your job. This is how you make a living. You've been out in the boat fishing all night with other fishermen but you haven't caught any fish. And you've all worked hard. You've worked yourselves to the bone. You need these fish. You won't be able to pay the bills unless you bring in something soon. You won't be able to put food on the table for your families if these fish don't come around. 
And so you've tried and you've tried all night. You've altered your techniques. You've moved all around to different portions on the lake. And what was lighthearted conversation with your fishing companions as you got started out has turned into this kind of grumpy back and forth where you're all frustrated, you're all angry, you're all aggravated because the fish just are not where you expect them to be. And so you're starting to kind of shift the blame to one another. And in the midst of that, there's just this, this nasty spirit that's going about between each individual that's here on this fishing trip. And then the sun rises. It's a new day. Still no fish. And now you know that the window of opportunity for catching fish has passed by because as the sun comes out, you're in a hot area of the world. The fish will move farther into the deep to stay away from the sun and the heat and being able to be seen by other animals. And so the night has been for you a waste. All you've done is drain your energy. All you can think about is getting some rest. But you've still got some work to do, right? I mean, when you get done with a job, you've got to pick up your tools. You've got to clean them up. You've got to get them ready for the next round if you're going to use them again without destroying them. And so there's a job left to do. You've, you've still got to wash your nets. You've still got to unload your equipment. You've still got to clean things up so that you can give this another go in hopes of keeping your career alive, keeping your family alive, keeping money in the bank. So you muster up what strength you have left to dock your boat and to begin cleaning your nets. And all you can think of is, what a wasted night. What am I going to do now? And that must have been the spirit that was within Simon Peter as we find him here in Luke chapter 5. Because he and his fellow fishermen had been out all night and they have nothing to show for it. Now we know Peter is kind of the bold disciple who steps forward on the day of Pentecost and becomes a great leader in the church. He's used by God in such an awesome way to bring about such a great, great transformation in multitudes of individuals. But Peter had to get to where he was, right? Peter had to start somewhere. And when we find Peter in Luke chapter 5, he's not quite there yet. He would be a great leader of the disciples for many years to come, but at this point, Peter hasn't fully made the decision that he himself is going to be a disciple for the Lord Jesus. And so Peter, at this point, has some interesting interactions with Jesus. These are things, he's, he's really seen Jesus at work in the community around him. But he hasn't yet fully committed to following Jesus. He's still a little bit on the fence. And this is a bad day to talk to him about it because he's sore and he's tired and he's frustrated. But still, Jesus recognizes that there's something that is missing in Peter. And Jesus wants to see Peter going all in, just like he wants to see each one of us going all in in this call to discipleship. This call to ultimately be flowing instruments for his glory. And so Jesus shows Peter something that causes him to take his discipleship to another level. Jesus calls him to, to go all in. And going all in on discipleship, going deeper in this path of walking with Jesus, of following Jesus, that's something we should all be setting our lives about doing. As we start out in this passage today, there's some evidence that Peter is, is striving to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, there's some things that obviously he must know about Jesus for him in the midst of this nasty situation, in the midst of this night, which has been for him an awful night, to still respond with obedience in short ways. So there's some positives here in the life of Peter. But the way Jesus leads him and the transformation that we see in him on this day show that Peter still has some level of commitment yet to make. And so Peter's actions in this passage reveal a hesitation, a lack of trust in Jesus. And that's something that Jesus wants to overcome in him, and it's something that he wants to overcome in you as well. And we all have our hesitations, my friends. We all have our reluctancies to go all in on behalf of Jesus. But what we find here is that when, when Peter really gets a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he can do, it's all that he knows how to do at that point to go 
and to be all in for the cause of Christ. And so before we start picking on Peter, I want to ask all of you who are gathered here today, are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm not talking about did you pray a prayer, did you walk an aisle, did you sign a card? I'm talking about are you following Jesus? Like, like, do you really get in tune with what his will is for your life? Are you checking in on a daily basis and saying, Jesus, you as my master, you as my Lord, I'm going to follow you. Where do you want to take me today? Is that your heart's ambition? Well, let me give you a simple way to evaluate based on what we find in today's passage. Because out of this passage, I would say that there are four statements that every one of us who has found rescue in Jesus and who has, who has found rescue in Jesus and has committed his or her life to following Jesus ought to be ready and willing to say. These are four confessions of true disciples of Jesus. Here they are in rapid fashion, and we'll dig into each one as we get into this passage. The first is, I will listen to what he teaches me. The second is, I will go where he sends me. The third is, I will do what he tells me. And the fourth is, I will trust in his will for me. Today's passage shows us that Peter was okay with three out of four of these confessions. It's pretty good, right? But he's really holding back in a critical sort of way. And that's what Jesus comes to address in Peter's life at this moment. Jesus wants Peter to go all in on this discipleship journey. Because Jesus is calling Peter to full commitment. And Jesus wants full commitment out of each one of you as well. He wants you to be fully committed as a disciple, as a follower of him. So let's look at how Luke 5 shows us what Peter is doing related to these four confessions of a true disciple. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here we read. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, him, that is Jesus, crowd's coming around Jesus he's performed some miracles and they are really just swamping him at this point the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Simon is another name for Peter. Ultimately, Jesus would change his name to Peter. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. That is Simon's boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him now let's dig into this passage a little bit just to see how peter was doing related to these four confessions of a true disciple and as we do i want you to be asking yourselves along the way am i committed to jesus in this Way. Can, can you make these four confessions as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the first confession. I will listen to what he teaches me. You see, Jesus has come 
to earth on a mission to bring a message that every man needs to hear, a teaching that each one of us needs to take into account into our own lives. When Jesus speaks, he speaks the very word of God, the one who has created us. And that's the message that we all need to hear. Luke says in verse 1 that the crowd was pressing around Jesus. They were, they were essentially closing him in, boxing him in, listening to the word of God. I mean, their ambition was so deep to hear God's word that they were pressing in on Jesus everywhere that he went. And this would be an experience in Jesus' life throughout his time here on earth in his ministry. And, and it's just encouraging to me i love that i love that crowds were forming and pressing in around jesus because they wanted to hear the word i love that i love that the word of god alone is enough to draw a crowd because i think so many churches in our day get kind of caught up in various gimmicks where they're trying to draw a crowd when the reality is people need the word of god And so my ambition, my desire is to focus upon God's Word, to draw out the riches of God's Word. You can have full confidence that I'm going to be investing my time in understanding the Word in a way that I'm trying to apply it to your lives because the Word is what we need. The Word is sufficient to draw a crowd and to bring God's church into His will and to see His work transforming lives. So whatever techniques we may use as a church, let us be sure that God's Word is the very heartbeat of our faith. And on this particular day, we find that Jesus has taken His teaching to the Lake of Gennesaret. That's a body of water that's also known as the Sea of Galilee. You would see it translated that way in the books of Matthew and Mark. But... but Here, Luke just takes another aspect of the geography to say that this is the lake of Gennesaret. And this freshwater lake, this Sea of Galilee, is is shaped kind of like a sirloin steak, all right? That's the rough idea of the shape of this lake. And and, uh, just to give you an idea of the magnitude of this lake, it has a surface area of over 64 square miles with a maximum depth of 141 feet. All right, 64 square miles, 141 square feet, just to draw a comparison, because the lake that most of you are going to know is Blues Lake, right? Blues Lake has about six square miles of surface area, and its maximum depth is 130 feet. So we're talking about something that has about 10 times more, a little over 10 times more surface area than Blues Lake would have, but, but it has much less of a jagged sort of border around it. it. It's really shaped in this ovular, as I mentioned, kind of, kind of like a ribeye steak sort of layout. And just an interesting fact, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest elevation freshwater lake on Earth. It's the second lowest lake overall behind the Dead Sea, which also flows through. So ultimately, the, the Jordan River flows through the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee then flows back into the Jordan River, which flows down into the Dead Sea, that saltwater lake. But both of those are at pretty low elevations, right? The Dead Sea being at the lowest of elevations and the Sea of Galilee being a little farther north, just a little higher in elevation, but still one of the lowest elevation lakes in all the earth. But if this lake doesn't draw any, any, any kind of sparks of memory for you. Let me just remind you that this is a lake that was such an important point, of, of important geograph- geographical location for Jesus in his ministry. This is where Jesus walked on the water. This is where Jesus calmed the storm. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000. This is where Jesus appears to his disciples on one of his appearances after the resurrection. And on the mount which overlooks this lake, Jesus preached what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons. And on this day in particular, Jesus is speaking God's word. And as he's speaking God's word, as the crowds are pressing in around him, he sees two boats that are lying on the edge of the lake. Now, the average fishing boat during this time was around 20 to 30 feet long, but they were pretty substantial structures. We read, for example, that in a similar sort of boat, Jesus and all of his disciples were on board. So we're talking about at least 13 individuals with his 12 disciples, and then 
Jesus sleeping in the, in the bottom of that boat. There might have even been some other servants that were there uh, to direct that boat around. But that's a pretty substantial boat to be able to fit that many individuals in it, at least 13 individuals. And we read that the, the fishermen who manned these boats in the passage in Luke chapter 5 had gotten out of the boats and they were now washing their nets. This is a sign that they were done with their work for the day. Uh, they were preparing for the next round, whenever that would be. They'd given up after what we learned later was this long night of fruitless fishing that we've been talking about. But still, weary as he may be, Peter is willing to listen to the teachings of Jesus. He's willing to hear what Jesus has to say. So as Jesus has kind of got the crowd swarming around him, he sees the boats and he sees an opportunity to improve his communication, his location in his teaching ministry by getting onto the boat and pushing off of the shore so that the crowds are no longer right there on top of him. There's a little distance between them. The water serves as a nice acoustical way to kind of make the, the sound uh, resound off to where the entire crowd can hear it. And Jesus essentially turns Peter's boat into his own pulpit on this day. And Peter's boat, that's the boat that Jesus chooses. And ultimately, I don't believe that this was by chance. Because Jesus had a purpose for everything that he did. Jesus has a purpose for every encounter. He had a purpose for what he was doing in the life of Peter on this day, as we're going to see this thing which happens, which brings Peter up to the next level in his discipleship. And Jesus has a purpose in every encounter. He has a purpose in this encounter, my friends. Jesus has called me to preach the word. And, and the fact that you are here today to hear his word, I do not believe, my friends, is just mere accident. I believe that God in, engages and creates these encounters so that his word can flow into our lives. So Jesus selects Peter's boat and he asks him to set out into the water where he then sits down and commences a fresh round of teaching from the boat. The fact that Peter is here in this moment and serving as Jesus' chauffeur, letting Jesus onto his boat, shows that, that Peter was at least somehow engaged in this crowd. Somehow he at least knows what Jesus' teaching is. And the fact that he would let Jesus come and teach from his boat shows that he is interested in Jesus' teachings. He's at least listening and why would peter not listen at this point i mean jesus has already encountered peter a couple of times we read in john chapter one for example that one of john the Baptist's disciples name was andrew okay so as andrew was standing with john the baptist one day john the baptist says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world pointing to jesus and so we find that these disciples who were there with john begin to follow jesus and one of those two disciples is named andrew and then we read that after Andrew stays wherever Jesus is staying for the night, he goes and finds his brother, who is known as Simon Peter, and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. So in this encounter, Andrew has heard from John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he goes and he tells his brother. So there's some level of respect already that's built up for Simon Peter regarding Jesus. And then when we were back in Luke chapter 4, several weeks back, we read that that. Jesus healed a woman, and that woman happened to be in Simon Peter's household. It was his mother-in-law. And so Simon Peter had a little bit of respect for Jesus already. I mean, as soon as Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed, she got up and fixed a meal for everyone. So, you know, Peter's kind of thankful for this meal that's been prepared for him. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a little bit of respect for Jesus at this point. But he's not all in to the point of discipleship yet. He's here, he's listening, he's got a level of respect, which is a very honorable sort of thing. And ultimately, we should expect that any disciple is going to listen what Jesus has to say. And so the question for us then is, are you listening to what Jesus teaches you? Now, the fact that you're here today is a good indicator that you might want to hear some of what God's Word has to say, right? Some of you maybe came, you know, kicking and screaming, you weren't too happy about being here. But the fact that you're here means that there's a certain level of interest within you to hear the word of God. But, but God's word is still living. God's word is still active. God's word is still the fuel that we need. 
God still speaks through His Word to guide His servants in the life, on the path that He wants us to follow. We still learn about Jesus and hear what His desire is for us through His Word. Are you in His Word, my friends, on a regular basis? Are, are you in His Word studying? Are you in relationship with Him, in prayer, asking for Him to guide you, listening for His voice, looking to see where His Spirit might be moving around you? Can you say, along with Simon Peter, that I will listen to what He teaches me? That's the first confession of a true disciple that I see here in this passage. The second is this, that I will go where He sends me. Now, when Jesus finished up his teaching to the crowd, he transitioned into this lesson that he was about to teach Simon Peter. And so he sends Peter out to a particular place. In verse 4, we see that he commands Peter to put out into the deep water. And though it's with a little bit of hesitation, as we see as Peter has this kind of exchange back and forth in this dialogue with Jesus, even with hesitation, Peter still goes where Jesus tells him to go. There in verse 5. And the command is pretty simple. Go where I tell you. Put out in the deep water. Now, Peter was a pretty experienced fisherman. This was his job, right? He did this on a daily basis. He knew how to go fishing. He knew that the the heat and the light of this Middle Eastern midday meant that there should not be any fish near the surface of the deep. But still, Jesus had told him to go there, and so he went. And as we think on that, is there any place, my friends, that you would not be willing to go if Jesus told you to go there? Like, have you ever had that kind of examination of your heart to say, is there any place that Jesus could call me to that I really just would not be willing to go? I mean, are you willing to go, my friends, across the street to that sinful neighbor? As Jesus has called us ultimately through this passage, we're going to see to be fishers of men. Are you willing to go to that sinful neighbor? The one who maybe you've had some, some headbutting with in the past and you two don't really get along or there's this awkward sort of relationship or maybe you know there's some sort of sin that they're engaged in that you don't approve of. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go across the office to that pesky co-worker? Are you willing to go to your friends who you kind of worry, well, maybe if I bring up this whole Jesus thing, we're going we're gonna to harm the relationship and, and we won't have... The same sort of friendship anymore. Are you willing to go across town to some sports field, maybe where young and eager minds are gathered to help coach a team or to help talk with parents or to guide families in this wonderful truth of the gospel? Are you willing to go across the ocean to a world in need as we've studied through this vision that ultimately God has a desire for all peoples, all nations to know his glorious gospel truth. And we are called to go and make disciples of all the nations. And so the question I want to ask each one of you is what's off the table for you when it comes to going? And and I want to challenge you to start praying a dangerous prayer. Here's what you can do. Pick up a map and spin it around and just find a spot on the globe and go and research the people who live in that area. We've got the internet. We've got technology these days. We've got libraries. Go and study about these people. Learn about what their trials are. Learn about what kind of ailments they are facing. And then pray this dangerous prayer. Lord, would you want me to go to these people? Lord, would you want me to go and to share the truth of your gospel with them? Would you want me to be a representative of Jesus? Ultimately, here, Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep water. This is a call to go deeper in relationship with Jesus as well. It's a call that we should all be listening for. And friends, I just want to ask you, are you aiming to go deeper in your relationship with Christ? Or are you stagnant? Have have you hit that point where you, you really aren't expecting to go any deeper in your relationship with Him? Maybe you look back to the former days and say, man, I used to walk so closely, but now today I'm just not there. Jesus calls us, just like He calls Peter in this passage, to go deeper 
And as we prepare to come to the table here today, as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to remember His sacrifice, this is an excellent time for us to take an accounting because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And Paul says that we shouldn't come to this table in an unworthy sort of manner. And so I just want to ask, are you prepared for the table? Are you prepared to be going deeper in relationship with Christ? Are you prepared to reflect on His good news and his sacrifice for you and i just want to tell you that jesus offers fresh hope and fresh grace and fresh forgiveness for those who are willing to plunge deeper into commitment with him and so i say can you confess along with peter the second confession of a true disciple of jesus can you say i will go where he sends me Thirdly, can you say, I will do what he tells me. I will do what he tells me. Now, it's with a reluctant spirit, of course. But Peter ultimately does what Jesus tells him to do in these verses. When Jesus says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets, Peter starts by trying to drop a few hints, right? He starts by trying to, you know, let, fill Jesus in on some things. Maybe you don't know about this, Jesus. You know, let me, let me just fill you in on what's going on here. You know, Jesus is calling for Peter to yield up all that is his for the master's use. And, and Jesus says, let down your nets. So Peter says, Master, we worked hard all night, and we caught nothing. But I will do as you say. It's as if Peter's expecting Jesus to change his mind. He thinks he's filling Jesus in on something new here. Something Jesus didn't already know. Like Jesus is going to say, oh, I didn't know you worked all night, Right? Peter's trying to teach Jesus that there are no fish here in this area right now. Look, look, Peter says, I'm the experienced fisherman here. This is my job. You know, I realize you're, you know, you're kind of a preacher and you're kind of a carpenter's son. You probably had not done a lot of fishing in your time, but I just want to let you know, right, I've got this fishing thing kind of figured out. You know, during this time of day, you're probably not going to catch any of these fish. And really, apart from what, knowing, knowing what Jesus would do later in raising from the dead to show that he is God himself in the flesh, I think we would probably all have a similar sort of response, right? If somebody you didn't know a lot about came to your job and tried to start telling you what to do, yeah, you're probably going to have that same sort of response, right? Get off my turf, man. That's kind of the heart that Jesus has here. So Peter essentially says, wait a minute, you realize I, I know what I'm doing here, right? And you know, there's an analogy here that Jesus is ultimately going to draw from this fishing experience. Because Jesus is ultimately transforming Peter into a fisher for men. He's changing Peter's vocation. He's changing what Peter is fishing for in the midst of this. And so, this is a calling ultimately that we all have through Christ in that we are all called to be fishers of men. But so often, I think we have the same sort of attitude of, of Peter here in that we, we, we kind of take this position like, you know, Jesus has called me to do this thing, but, but Jesus just doesn't know how tough this is, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't know the ridicule that I'm going to face if I go out and share the gospel. Jesus doesn't know how far our culture has gotten from his word, and, and Jesus just doesn't know what, what kind of... What kind of trouble i'm going to be facing if i if i go out and do this or jesus, jesus doesn't know what conflicts lie over in this darfur region uh, region of sedan jesus doesn't know about the, the, the difficulties of isis i mean it's essentially as if we're saying the same sort of thing that peter is saying by our own objections to what christ has called us to do we find ourselves as if we're trying to explain as if jesus in making his call to go and make disciples of all the nations didn't know that we would face these sorts of things. As if Jesus wasn't going to be with us as we carried out this work. And friends, I just want you to know, He knows. He knows. And so let us resolve to do what He tells us to do. Let us set our lives about fishing for men on Jesus' behalf. And friend, I just want you to know that if you don't know Jesus, he is fishing for you. He is longing for you. He is reaching out to you. He is offering to you a lifeline of hope, a lifeline of eternal life, a lifeline of forgiveness. 
And in this passage, Jesus is fishing for a deeper commitment from Peter. Now, Peter was weary. The Bible says that he worked hard all night. Original Greek word translated worked hard, which is this word kapiao, means to labor with a wearisome effort, to grow weary, to grow tired, to grow exhausted. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peter's words that we worked hard all night and caught nothing reminds me of my life before Jesus because there were so many times that I found myself working, trying to earn the favor of God, trying to to check off all the right boxes because I thought that doing all the right things would make God love me more. When ultimately what I had to discover was that Jesus was the one who took those who are weary and heavy laden. That Jesus was the one who was all sufficient. And as I was striving in my pursuits to check all the right boxes, what I kept finding was this emptiness, this need for more, this dissatisfaction with who I am. Because I will never be sufficient on my own. But ultimately what God led me to is the truth that Jesus is all the sufficiency that I need. And I want to tell you, my friends, that Jesus is all the sufficiency that you need as well. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Have you been out working and working and working and just finding yourself falling to the bottomless pit of your own self-sufficiency over and over again? And friends, I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to be your sufficiency. Jesus has come to be your redeemer. Jesus has come to be your savior. Elusive peace finds its resting place in Jesus. And in spite of his reluctance, in spite of the fact that Peter's kind of taking this effort to try and explain to Jesus the circumstances of fishing, at least Peter was willing to do what Jesus said and i say that so long as someone is willing to respond to jesus's leading there is potential for that one jesus saw that potential in jesus peter jesus saw that potential in peter and that's ultimately why we see the account that we have here today so can you say i will do what he tells me This is the third confession of a true disciple of Jesus. The final one is this. I will trust in his plans for me. When Peter obeys Jesus, we find that Jesus does all the things that Peter was assuming were impossible. In a place where he expected to find no fish, he found more fish than his net could handle. He found more fish than his boat could handle. He found more fish than he could handle. He had to call for backup in the midst of this situation. How do we know that Peter thought all of this was impossible? Because when Jesus does what Peter didn't think Jesus could do, we find that Peter falls at Jesus' feet. Peter cries out, I am a sinner. Go away from me. Peter is in this moment of fear and trembling and worship once he realizes that Jesus has all the things to do that he did not think that he could do before. He did not have the faith to believe Jesus could do these things. And how could Jesus orchestrate for this great great quantity of fish to show up in the middle of the day? Well, what Peter learns and what we learn in this passage is that Jesus knows where the fish are are jesus always knows where everything is he is god in the flesh he knows all things and he knows where you are right now he knows about the struggles that you are facing he knows about the trials in your life he knows about your objections he knows about your hesitations he knows about your lack of complete trust in him and yet he still yearns for you here in this moment peter realized just how awesome jesus is he looked to his own failures in light of one who could command it all 
And, and when, when Peter looks at his failures and he looks at Jesus' ability to command so many fish that they didn't even design their equipment to be able to handle it, Peter realizes the distinctions here. He realizes the chasm between his own sinfulness and the holiness of one who can command the fish to be out in such great quantities in the middle of the day. Ultimately, Peter realizes what he confesses to Jesus in verse 8 as he falls at his feet. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But the glorious truth of the gospel, the truth that Luke so readily drives home, is that God has not gone away from the sinner. God does not depart from the one who sins. Instead, God has come to the sinner. God has come to you in the midst of your sin to rescue you, to win you back, to let you know that his love is still there for you. He still yearns for you to be in relationship with him. He still yearns for you to be his on mission, living for his glory. He still longs to purchase you back for all of eternity out of this pure love for you. And Luke really wants to drive this message home. The word that, that Peter uses when he describes himself as a sinner here occurs 17 times in Luke's gospel. All the other gospels have no more than five instances of this word. But, but I've, I've told you, this gospel is Luke, Luke's gospel is a gospel for the rejected, a gospel for the outcasts. And so Luke really drives this message home over and over and over again that Jesus has come for sinners. This is the first occurrence of that word in the gospel. And as we continue our study through Luke's gospel in the coming weeks, we're going to see that Luke is really driving home the fact that Jesus has come for sinners. What Peter didn't realize is that our recognition of our unworthiness is the best, best pep- preparation that we can have for his kingdom work. When we realize how insufficient we are, then we're ready to trust in the plans of one who is all sufficient. And you can't become a disciple until you realize that there's something that you need to learn. You can't become a follower until you realize that there is someone worth following. There's some place that you need to be going. And here Peter sees that he is not enough on his own. He sees he's just a rotten, filthy sinner. That's the place I had to come to in my life. I had to come to the point where I realized that it didn't matter what efforts I was making on my own. They all piled up to a bunch of filthy rags apart from what Jesus had done for me. Because Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has taken that note and he has canceled that debt. He has ransomed me by his work. And he offers this ransom to all who will entrust their lives to him. Peter's faith had been weak. The thing that had been missing for him was trust in Jesus' plans. With just one big haul of fish, all of that changed for Peter. Suddenly, Peter is forced to confront his lack of faith in what Jesus can do. And through this encounter, we find that Peter is transitioned and ready to make this final confession of a true disciple. He's finally ready to say, I will trust in his plans for me. And so now, a new sort of fisherman would emerge out of the life of Peter. A new sort of fisherman would appear out of the life of this one who had been fishing for the literal fish for quite some time because Jesus calls him to a different sort of fishing. Instead of bringing up something for others to eat, he would now be bringing men to eternal life. Instead of fishing with bait and with nets, he would now offer individuals the good news of Jesus' coming. Instead of relying on his own skill, Peter would now be totally dependent on God's control and God's direction. Instead of saying out in the lake with familiar friends and family, now Peter would be going to all the nations with a message of life and hope and peace. Instead of fearing not catching enough fish, now Peter would be resting comfortably in the center of God's will, knowing that his eternity was secure in the hands of a king who loved him and had all authority over every element of nature. 
Why? Because Jesus says to Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. In Matthew and Mark, we see that Jesus issued these words as a command. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter would become a great fisher of men. I mean, this sinful man would be transformed into one of the greatest evangelists of all time. This simple fisherman, no high education, no high noble birth, just a fisherman who knew himself to be a sinner would become such an instrument in the hands of God to affect the nations for his glory. But it all had to start with trust in Jesus' plans. And Jesus was calling Peter to true discipleship. And you can't have true discipleship without yielding up full trust in the one who calls you to follow him. One of the things we're focusing on as we go through this new study with our youth called Follow Me is Jesus' call to his disciples. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so often the invitation that's given for individuals to come to Jesus is a very shallow sort of invitation. We don't find individuals following Jesus because they've been told they just need to pray that prayer. They just need to sign that card. They just need to do this thing. Ask Jesus into your heart. And and all things will be changed from then on. When the reality is that Jesus, through his word, calls for all of us to make this radical commitment to follow him, to make him the Lord of our lives, to be pursuing him in active, living faith. And and I worry sometimes that we lay out too shallow of the gospel that says, just take care of this little sort of thing, right? Jot it down on a sheet of paper and you're done. Rest of your life, you can live whatever way you want to. You got your get into heaven free pass. When the reality is that Jesus gave all for us to have the ability to come to him by faith. And he calls us to follow him. And so every call to Jesus is a commission to join his mission to rescue all of mankind. Every one of us is called to follow him and to become fishers of men. And here at the pinnacle of his career, Peter leaves it all behind. Because finally, Peter realizes that he is going to trust in Jesus' plans for him. He's made a commitment. He's made a decision. He is going to trust in Jesus. So when you hear me explain the gospel, it's not going to be in terms that we don't find in Scripture of inviting Jesus into your heart. Ultimately, you'll often hear me say, entrusting your life to Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what we're talking about here. Faith is just a noun form of the verb trust. And I think we've kind of watered down this idea of what faith is in our day and age. As if faith just means, you know, I believe, and yet it's not going to change anything about me. I believe, but really, Jesus isn't going to direct anything that I say. That's not what Jesus calls his disciples to here. Peter shows us what it really looks like to trust in Jesus' plans. And so we've been going through this vision, right? where Where does Peter fall kind of on the map of what we're talking about? Well, Peter's been found, right? I mean, he's already had this encounter with Jesus. He already knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's got his brother coming to tell him that sort of thing, right? Peter's formed in this very passage that we're looking at here. He's probably been formed at some other points, right? In that he's listening to Jesus' instruction. He's allowing Jesus to kind of speak to the needs of his life. But now Peter comes to a point where he must make a commitment. He comes to a point where he must be fired into this solid vessel that is ready for Jesus' use. And that's ultimately what we find Peter doing here in these verses. Peter is now making the commitment that he is going to go all in for Jesus. As a matter of fact, the text says that he left everything. He and his friends came back, they put their boats on the shore, and they left everything to follow Jesus. And that becomes my friend the time in which Jesus begins to use them in ministry, as they're filled with truth and purpose. That becomes the time when Jesus begins to prepare them for ultimately what we see on the day of Pentecost when they are sent out flowing these riches into the lives of others. 
And so as we, as we gather around the table today, I just want to remind you that the call to discipleship is a call to entrust everything that you are, everything that you have, all of your future, all of eternity to the King of Heaven who has appeared on earth to ransom you from the dead. And if we do that, we, we come and we give all because we know a king who has given all. We know a king whose body has been broken. We know a king whose blood has been shed. We know a king who has sacrificed all to win us back. And when he calls us to give everything for him, you see, my friends, we're responding to the call of one who has given everything for us but you see jesus had everything to lose we have everything to gain in him that's the glorious good news of the gospel that's why we remember his sacrifice that's why jesus calls us to do this in remembrance of me we observe the lord's supper because that's what he has commanded us to do do this in remembrance of me And so we are remembering in these moments that Jesus has given all for us, that Jesus has purchased us back from the grave. And we gather around the table remembering this. Who should partake of these elements? Who should partake of the bread and of the cup? Ultimately, it is those who are Christ's. This is the Lord's table. And, you know, Paul makes it clear that coming to this table in an unworthy sort of manner is a very a very wrong-headed sort of mistake. And so if, if you're at enmity in some way with your neighbor, if, if you find yourself at enmity with God, if you find that there's some sort of broken relationship, some sort of unrepented sin in your life, coming to this table is not the right thing for you to do until you've repented of all of that. Listen to how Paul describes that. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But what does he call for us to do? What we're going to be doing here in just a moment. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he has to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So we're going to share in a time of, of silent meditation, a silent confession, a silent time for you. Is there some unrepented sin in your life? Some hindrance between you and the Lord? Something that you need to make right in these moments? We're going to pause for you to have a time to contemplate your own heart, to make your own confession, to say, is this a time for me to be coming to this table? Would you bow with me now in that silent 